If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we cut the message off last week in anticipation of being able to close out this section this week. I don't know that we'll be able to do that, but let's see what happens. Um, We'll go until time to stop. If you'll notice uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 33 through 39 is the text that we're at. And to refresh our memory... Let's take a look at that text and read through there again. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. Verse 36, Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better." Now, I was actually tempted this morning to come over here without my suit. And I see a lot of folks out there fanning. It is a little bit warm. So I'm going to shock the system this morning, and I'm actually going to go ahead and remove this tie. Please don't stone me, okay, for doing this. But uh, I, I didn't want to come over here and push the envelope because, I, you know, again, change, change is diff- difficult, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest, change is difficult. Um, I'm finding this out uh, the older I get. Uh, my wife's younger. I married young. You know, I, I knew that might keep me uh, somewhat young, but if, if, if nothing else, my health failed, I had a young one to take care of me. Amen? So, so anyways, but I tell her, honey, don't ever let me, you know, get like, um, uh, you know, those kind of folks that are just resistant to change just because it's change. Now listen, sometimes change is good and sometimes change is bad. We've got to discern. We've got to discern between am I upset with this because I'm not used to it? Am I upset with this because I'm used to having this or doing it that way? Is it a traditional change or is it a truth change? Because we all want to move towards what's truth. And you know what? Sometimes it's neither or and we just need to build a bridge and get over stuff, right? You know the illustration. I've done it here before. How many of you, let's go through it again. How many of you in here like chocolate ice cream? Raise your hand. Chocolate ice cream. All right. Well, a lot of y'all, okay. Remember this for the ice cream social, social committee. How many of you in here like vanilla ice cream? Raise your hand. Okay, not as many. All right, Faith, we're kind of in the minority on that one. How about this? How many like strawberry ice cream? Okay, about the same there, all right. Uh, who's a Neapolitan kind of folk? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Here's my point. Some people like chocolate ice cream. 
Some people like vanilla ice cream. Some people like strawberry ice cream. But you know what? I'm just happy you like ice cream. Don't get so bent up and out of shape over things just because it's not what you like. Those are called preferences. But what we want to focus on is truth. This text that we've looked through, Jesus encounters a tradition that the people are unwilling to come to truth in. And that's the problem. Now let me be real clear, because I don't like when folks do this, and I'm not trying to do this this morning, I promise you. There's a lot of movements that are going on in Christianity today, and they'll use this verse to preach their agenda. And I'm not trying to do that. I want to exhaust the text. I want to do it exegetically. I want it to say what it says because that's what the author intended for it to say. So there is a very distinct difference from people who are hijacking the text to preach an agenda. And let me just go ahead straightforward and say this this morning. This text is about Jesus is stepped onto the scene and he is doing something that is climactic in changing the old covenant to present the new covenant. And that's why we're going to get into this text and draw it out and what it really means. And here's the bottom line. If, we don't, if you don't get the, the point of this sermon this morning, here's the point. Jesus, with the old Jewish way of doing things, doesn't mesh. You can't put Jesus in the old system. Jesus was the final sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So you can't have Jesus and then continue to do the religious practices that the Jews were doing. No more than you can flip that coin and have uh, Jesus and try to fit into Jesus' law. The old covenant, the new covenant. Christ is making a point here that is climactic. He is making a point of truth. And so that's the context of the text, and I don't want anybody to get confused on it. Now, can we draw spiritual applications? Can this also be a point in principle? Excuse me, say it, don't spray it. Um, Can it be a point in principle that we can share? Absolutely. Because you and I as Christians, that's how we live life. When we have to make decisions and discern, we draw from principles of Scripture. And so there is a principle here that helps you and me to say, well, I don't want to be so stuck in man-made traditions that it keeps me from focusing on the important thing, and that is God's truth. We can agree to disagree on the hows, the methodology, as long as we're on the same page with the message. The problem in this text is they were disagreeing on the message and the methods. So I hope we're kind of understanding that. Let's press forward and maybe this will make, make sense for us. Again, we talked about Jesus is here. He's called Levi. He's called Matthew, the tax collector. They're throwing a big shindig party because Matthew's leaving his old life. He's surrendered his life to Christ. He's going to be a follower of Christ. He's a disciple of Christ. We talked about how that's reaching down to the lowest of lows because when when a tax collector got saved, I mean, that's these were the traitors. 
And so this is just shocking, especially to those Pharisees that have been following Jesus around, taking notes, wanting to catch him in all this, this heretical stuff that he's doing. You know, they're, they're the, the Pharisee patrol. And you know, if we're not careful, we still have some of those Pharisee patrols around in our churches today where taking notes on, you know what they did over there? You know what? The, uh-huh. Let's mark that one down. They're taking a record of wrongdoing, if you will. And so here are these Pharisees on the scene and they're at this party. And the, these people are, are eating and they're having a good time. And, and hey, it's a, it's a celebration. And notice, here are those Pharisees. They want to ask some questions. Why do the disciples of John fast often and, and, and make prayers? And likewise, those are the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And remember, we talked last time that this is probably a Monday or a Thursday. And that had become the tradition. You will not find in the Old Testament, other than one time, God commanded a fast. The Day of Atonement. Commands the fast for the Day of Atonement. But what happened was, eventually, and there are fasting, you'll see fasting in the Old Testament, where sometimes nationally they fasted. Uh, but you'll find almost always in Old Testament references, the fasting was in regards to mourning. Not, not the morning when the sun comes up, but you know, sadness, mourning. And so here is celebration. But yet here stands these Pharisees because the Pharisees and even John's disciples had become so accustomed to fasting on Mondays and Thursdays. Why Mondays and Thursdays? We talked about this last time. Those were the believed days where Moses went up to the mount and also the day in which he came down. So they set aside those religious days as the ceremonial time of fasting. And so you were spiritual if you fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And so, John's disciples, they were called to repentance. They wanted to get things right in their heart with God. And so they wanted to make sure that things were ready because the Messiah was coming. And so even John's disciples went from being casual Jews to wanting to get more God-like. And so all they knew from the traditions that were being taught in their day, were to practice these same type things. Because, hey, maybe I used to not fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but all the religious, the examples that I have of godly people, that's what they do, so therefore maybe I need to start doing more of that because I am genuinely wanting to be right before God. So see, sometimes traditions get even good people caught up in them. And John's disciples were such an example. So here they are with ash on their face and cheeks sucked in and, and there is probably a Monday or a Thursday in there and here are all these people partying and eating. Just another reason why this is not the Messiah because he's not observing what the righteous people do. And so Jesus confronts, he answers this. They come to him, they ask these questions and he answers and says, hey, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is with them? I mean, this is, look, you would never think of calling for a fast at the wedding celebration. I heard a pastor joke, though. He says, well, maybe you would if you're the dad and you didn't want the girl marrying the guy in the first place. There's not going to be any wine. We're not having any food because I don't want you marrying this guy. So we're fasting that day. And no, you would never do that. The, the, the celebration when the bridegroom, the bride are together, you, you, this would be a cause for celebration. So Jesus makes this plain example and point, you would never ask, you would never do that. 
but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Now when is that? What is that referencing? Jesus is the bridegroom. We know to the church that we are the bride. He's the bridegroom. But He's referencing here because again, He's bringing in a new covenant. He's bringing in uh, the day of grace, if you will, the church age in which we live. And He makes this point that there's coming a day when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. When was he taken away? Well, some people would say that he's referencing the, the, the death on the cross. And that from the time of the death on the cross to the point of the resurrection, they were mourning and they were fasting. You could study and... See where you come down on that. But I personally believe that it's a reference to his ascension. He, when he goes away at the ascension, and until even now, I believe this is time for you and I to fast and pray. Not in some religious practice that we do it on a Monday and a Thursday, though early church still quite, didn't quite get this. They said, okay, well, we'll do ours then basically on uh, Sunday and, and um, uh, Wednesday or, or maybe Tuesday and Friday. Paul writes in his epistles, there are references to fasting and praying. I still think it's a practice that should be done as believers. I think there should be times when you and I should fast. And I think those times should be in times perhaps of mourning. I think it's in times of humbleness and repentance. I think it's in times when we need serious breakthrough. We need God to hear us and we need to pour ourselves out before Him. I still think there's a time for that. And I think that's what he's referencing here, that his followers, his disciples, the church, if you will, when the bridegroom is gone, that, uh, that we will fast in those days. And then one day the Lord will return for His bride. But notice he goes on and he gives this parable of the cloth and the wineskins. And he spoke in a parable to them. And no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. I don't know about you. Some of you are too young to remember this. Some of you remember this. But when I was growing up, you remember the patches? You remember that? And then they got kind of cool like in the 70s because, you know, you could get like a Star Wars patch to go over that big hole in your blue jeans. You know, and I was like, cool, man, I'll get me a Star Wars patch or something, you know. And you get these different patches. So if you, because back in those days, I don't know how it was at your house, but I, first off, I got my hand-me-downs from my older brother. So I didn't hardly ever get anything new. And then when it ripped, Mama just sewed it or got a patch to put over the hole, you know. Uh, I used to have this outfit. I called it my JJ outfit. Some of y'all remember, dynamite! Because I had my little JJ hat and all these patch-covered clothes. But you know what? That's the way it was. That's fine. You don't find that much anymore. You don't find too many people using patches. But in this, in this example that Christ is sharing, He's making a point. Why would you take a new garment and ruin it and cut out a piece to go on the old garment? You don't do that. That would ruin both pieces. Because uh, uh, eventually, and he, and he says it right here in the text, and again, the people of this day, they knew very well uh, about, uh, about what this meant. You don't put a piece of new garment on an old. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. Because you know how it is. Things stretch and 
And when you get washed and they dry up and they stretch and they pull apart. And so he says, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. Um, then he goes on and he, and he gives this example. He talks about uh, the... Uh, by the way, let me, let me just say this. What's Jesus' deliberate contrast here? It's between the old and the new. That's the point of this parable. The contrast between the old and the new. Who's asked the question? The Pharisees. How were the Pharisees doing things? Doing things the old way, if you will. And, and look, let me be real clear. Jesus um, did not come to do away with the old, with the law. He came to fulfill it. All right? But these guys, this is not what Jesus is referencing. He's referencing their traditions, not the truth of the Old Testament. You see, they had developed their own religious systems in doing things. And that's old. That's done. That's, look, that's, that's faded out. Um, but Jesus is here to fulfill. And he goes on and he says uh, that no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. No one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. And what's Jesus trying to say here? Jesus is trying to say that to attach the new to the old not only results in destruction of the new, in reference to the garment, you have torn the new garment, but also the old, which won't look right, and it will eventually tear again. Makes the same point with the wineskin. Notice what he says. And I want to read this quote. This is from uh, Dr. Ralph F. Wilson on this wineskin illustration that Jesus gives. Wineskins were made of whole tanned goat skins where the legs and the tail were cut off and had been sealed. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word nabel, skin bottle, is translated by the King James Version as bottle, Okay, which gives us images of glass wine bottles. That's not correct. But these were rather whole goat skins with nubbins bulging out where the legs once were. The neck tied off where the new wine has been poured in, the whole large skin bulging almost to bursting as the carbon dioxide gas generated by the fermentation process stretches it to its limit. By the way, this image is described in Job. Listen to the following text, Job 32, 18 and 19. For I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me Inside, I am like bottled up wine, like new wineskins ready to burst. Job 32, 18 and 19. Fermentation in the wineskin might continue for another two or four months until the process slows down and stops. By that time, the skin has been stretched to its limit. The alcohol is probably about 12%, and the the collagen protein that gives the leather its stretching ability has been stretched out and probably denatured by the alcohol, destroying its natural resiliency. The skin's ability to contract and stretch again has been lost. 
they would have known this. Because they knew what Jesus is talking about. They knew the drink that they carried most around them that day was wine. The water wasn't that great. They would do so in, in the pouches. They understood the, the idea of how wineskins burst. And, and so they understood what Jesus was talking about. They get this. They get this illustration. You know, we may not understand this, but we don't need to understand the fermentation process or the aging of uh, leather to know what this text means. Here's the same contrast of old and new that we saw in the parable of the patched garment. His point's the same. You can't join the new to the old or you'll ruin both, the new wine and the old skin. The gas pressures from the fermentation is eventually so great that the inflexible old skin ruptures and the new wine gushes out onto the ground and it's wasted. His hearers all know not to use old wine skins with new wine. They understand. Dr. Wilson. So, what is Jesus telling them? Plain and simple. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. It's not your religious practice, Pharisees. Jesus does not fit into any other religion. Not the old Jewish religion. Not the Islamic religion. Not the Buddhist religion. He's not the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses. He's not the Jesus of the Mormons. That is them trying to put Jesus into old wineskins or new wineskins. It is not going to work. It destroys both. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not by law, it's by grace. He has come, He has fulfilled the law, and in Christ we are forgiven, and therefore we have new life in Him. Jesus is making it clear. And he's pointing out in the context of the tradition of their fasting, their religiosity. Why do you disciples eat and drink? They were too caught up in the traditions. You have made the the truth of God void, is what he says. Remember him saying that to the Pharisees? Your traditions, the traditions of man, have made the truth of God void. And gang, if if we're not careful, we end up on that same path. And today, it does look like this. We believe if you're a good godly Christian and you're a woman, you need to wear a dress. If you're a good godly man, you don't have hair down here. Because the Bible says, man with long hair is shameful. We say if you don't have a King James Bible, then you don't have a good Bible. We say, um, you know, if, if, if you listen to that style of Christian music, that's not of God because it has a Gang, 
That is exactly who the Pharisees were. These were not godly truths spelled out in the Old Testament. These were truths in the Old Testament that man got a hold of and began to add to it and twist it to preach their message. And Jesus stepped on the scene and said, I'm eating with sinners. I'm eating and calling tax collectors to repentance. Oh, does God in His Word preach modesty? Absolutely. Will Community Baptist Church teach and preach modesty? Absolutely. Do we all have standards? Absolutely. But am I held to your standard? Are you held to my standard? Or do we give an account to one master? Let each man rise and fall to his own. Let's not me and you dictate those traditions just because you like chocolate ice cream. Don't beat up someone who loves vanilla. That's the point of Jesus bringing this here, that the Jews had the old covenant and now they had taken it to a place to where it did not need to be and Jesus was coming on the scene to fulfill the Old Testament, to bring together in one person the grace that was needed because by the law we all know we're sinners and we all stand guilty before a holy God and I need His grace to transform and change me from within, not from without. The external practices of keeping a fast or wearing a certain robe, and this is exactly what they argued in their day, that was not salvation. We need to remember Christ is in the transforming business. Let Him transform the heart of man, and it will change the life of man. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You more importantly, Lord, for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, grace. We need grace. We can't do... can't be... apart from grace. But I'm so grateful for grace that changes the heart of man. And Lord, I pray you help us. Help us to love you. Help us in our relationship with you to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. Create within us that desire because, Lord, as our mind is being renewed and washed by the word, that we recognize what's near and dear to your heart and therefore out of, out of gratitude, out of love, we'll want to live that way. Not because that's what others expect of me. Not because uh, that's the label that's placed on Christianity. Not even because of those in our company that we look up to as spiritual leaders do it. Therefore, maybe I should do it. No, Lord, let us look only to Jesus Christ. To the needed grace to change our heart. 
Renew the inward man. And Lord, help us to not get caught up in the external trappings of man. But may we yield to truth as we walk and are led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Father, we'll give you all the glory and all the praise because you alone are worthy of that praise. In Jesus' name, amen.